Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Yolitics here. Um, we are at the Katie Trail Ice House, and guess who's not here? Guess who can't hang out and have a local Texas beer? Wheeler. Wheeler's not here to order his little fruity beer, his little IPA. Wheeler actually has the day off, so um, I'm going to pour one out in his honor and expense that and see if they'll actually cash that show. But in Wheeler's place, our guest today is a uh, colleague of ours, David Schechter, a buddy of mine who I have uh, long looked up to, not only for his Brooks Brothers suits, but for his <laughs> spectacular recording, uh, spectacular reporting as well. So we are at the Cage Trail Ice House. David, good to see you, man. Good to see you. They just turned up my theme song. Or they just, did. We're rocking out over here. Cheers. What, what are you drinking today, I'm drinking man? a uh, Manhattan Project Half-Life, mm. which is a cloudy, hazy IPA. That's a good place. That's from uh, Dallas, Texas, Manhattan Project Beer Company. <sighs> That's a good one. In a cold chalice. Don't tell the boss what size. I will. They said we can only have one, so we didn't tell them what I, size. Then I got the whole pitcher. We got the I entire got one thing. pitcher. I was surprised when they brought it out. It's like 11 a.m. right now, and we're drinking <laughs> We're drinking this massive, massive beer here. I'm having the uh, Austin Amber from Independence um, Brewery down in Austin. So we, we're having you on Yolitics this week to talk about climate change. Yeah. You really, uh, you're one of the few broadcast reporters that I know of, especially in local television, to actually pursue this. And I'm curious, what in the world got you interested in climate change reporting? Because it's not the most visual thing to yeah. pursue. It's a good question. I, you know, I, I was so intimidated to, to do any reporting about climate change uh, two years ago because... It's really hard. You know, you, there's so much noise. People say, it's not true. It's a hoax and all these things. And so you're going to get in the middle of that? You know, True. Mostly what reporters do and what I always did was either sort of ignore it or uh, call it a controversy and say there's two sides to this. And, and, and that, I turned, you know, that's the very, that's super wrong. <laughs> yeah. There aren't really two sides to it, but it takes a long time to get the confidence up to say, I don't care if you want to challenge it, because there are no challenges to it. So let's like move on, and, and not have to worry about always defending it or being embarrassed or like I'm talking about climate change. It's a bad word. It's science, and the only thing that's really the controversy that I've gotten confident to talk about over time is that is the politics. Yeah, it's not a it's not a question of science anymore. It's politics and everything, man. It's politics and everything. That's right. Yeah. So, so what I think is, is fascinating to back up for our listeners here too. David, who works at WFAA in Dallas, he has done uh, all kinds of stuff on climate change. But most notably, uh, what, two years ago, in 2019, yeah. you took a viewer from WFAA and you went to Alaska That's right. to show them the receding uh, the you receding see that ice. expense report. I know. How was that? <laughs> our, bo- our boss listens to this, so uh, don't, don't give away anything. Uh, but you, you took the viewer up there, and this was a skeptical person who That's didn't right. really believe... 
in uh, in climate change, and you showed how the permafrost is is getting thinner and thinner every year. Correct me if I'm wrong here. That's on right. Termino- yes, terminology. That's right. And then you, you went out and landed on a glacier and showed how the glacier 50 years ago used to stretch a mile or two yes. beyond where you were. That's right. And now it, it, it had receded. That was So that, that was the beginning of my journey, and then we also had his journey. So my journey was, like I just said, I, I read about it, I believe it, but I, I haven't really like done any of the reporting firsthand. So that's what I was doing on that trip. But here's a guy, he's a roofer from Dallas, and he... You know, he's just, I don't believe it. You know, the, the climate's always been changing. It always will change, and there's nothing we can do to influence that. We took him to see the top climatologists, some of them in the country. So he's, like, getting this master class from these experts. And then we took him to Alaska, and, you know, we, we take people on these journeys sometimes. They never really change their minds. But he saw that glacier. That was what did it. He's like, it used to be, like, a mile longer, and he, you know, you know, seeing it yeah. made him believe it. So climate change has that aspect of like things that are going to happen in the future, things you maybe can't necessarily see. And, and so he saw that and that was like, boom, the light, light bulb went off for him. And that was kind of cool. Wow. And so right now you guys are probably seeing this, uh, what's going on in the headlines right now in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, there's a, a big climate summit. World leaders from, from all over the planet are yeah. there trying to figure out how to cut emissions how to how to stop the, the the planet's warming right now to try to at least uh, you know arrest what's going on as right. we speak. Here's what I haven't looked up enough to know: What does COP26 mean? COP26. Yeah. I, I hear that all the time. Yeah, it's it's a weird acronym and it's sort of clunky, but it uh, it's called the Conference of the Parties. Each country is okay. sort of a party to the to to the Paris Agreement, which right. was in 2015. Actually, even further back. So it's the Conference of the Parties. The 26th meeting of the Conference of the Parties. You know, from a branding perspective, I could have come up with something a lot better than that. But that's what it is. And it got 190, I think 195 countries represented. Not, not the Premier of China, not Putin from Russia. China couple, and Russia did not show, right? A couple of notable no-shows. Yeah. But they're all there. Basically, the way I describe it is like, it's going to be bad no matter what. The world is on track. The temperature's going up since 1970, right. you can look at it, and it's going to keep getting worse. Well, let's talk about Texas and how that relates to Texas, because considering what's going on now in Glasgow, you decided to look at, at how Texas is being yeah. impacted by climate change. Yeah. And speaking of the, the temperatures going up, you look specifically at the, the average annual temperature right. in Dallas-Fort Worth, yeah. and it's been on the rise since 1970. Right. The, these are, are subtle changes, a few degrees here and there. But you said in your reporting, uh, if we cut emissions, uh, the temperature will stay about 70 degrees. Um, but if we do not agree to Which cut emissions... Which is about 5 degrees warmer than 1970. 5 degrees already. warmer. Yeah. And, and five. So when I hear that, I'm thinking 5 degrees doesn't sound like that much. Yeah. It determines whether I wear a jacket yeah. outside every day. Um, but if we do not agree to that, the temperature goes above 74 degrees. So that's 10 degrees above, right. roughly. What does that mean yeah, if the you, temperature goes that high? That's a great question. So that's another thing that's a little wonky. It's like the average annual temperature. So it's like the temperature every 365 days a year. And then add that all together and divide it by 365. So you get a, you get a number. So it doesn't mean that that the days are going to be five degrees warmer. It's just that the, the background temperature is going up. So, like, for example, if it's five degrees warm, like in, what we saw in Alaska, and it's similar here, like the fish that spawn in the streams, they spawn at a 
really specific temperature. And mm. and if the temperature is now always the average temperature is two degrees warmer, they don't spawn or they spawn less. And or, you know, people go hunting for dove here in Texas and they go the same week every year and over the last ten years they go, Where are the doves? They're not they're not here or they're coming later because they're adjusting to the changes in the climate. So the climate's the background. We think of the day-to-day, like, should I wear a jacket? But the climate is really like this background pattern that everything is established on. How hard is the road going to be that we're going to build? How deep are we going to put the pilings in the buildings that we're going to build? You know, what's, what are the insurance rates going to be in the future? These are all, like, basic, steady things that have, have been based on everything that happened in the past. It's and, the foundation on which we live. Right, and the founda- now the foundation is changing, and you don't know what it's going to be necessarily in the future you can't say well the last 50 years it's always been like this so the next 50 years are going to be like this too now we don't know and the greenhouse emissions is what it's kind of a phrase a a term that we use now too but to back up to our science class back in you know biology back in the 70s and 80s what are greenhouse emissions because it's it's when you and i were driving over here we use some greenhouse emissions we're not using any to produce this podcast fortunately besides the energy that was used to make this beer. But but what are those? And and that's kind of what seems to be the, the focus of Glasgow, right? Yeah. So greenhouse gas emissions, it's a really old, old, uh, phys- like, physics issue. Like, everybody, you could learn about this 100 years ago in science class, <laughs> that carbon dioxide, if you take, like, a, if you took, like, a little glass bell jar and you stuck carbon dioxide in it and you had one that didn't have any carbon dioxide in it, and you heated both of those jars up, the one with the carbon dioxide is going to remain warm because the carbon dioxide holds heat for a lot of reasons. So primarily it's from factories and cars and other things as well. And you release the carbon dioxide into the glass dome, which is now the Earth's atmosphere, and it's just it floats up there for sometimes for like tens of thousands of years. So it's not going away. Wow, it's there, and it's cha- and so it absorbs the heat. And if you if you, if it wasn't there, that atmosphere would be cooler. But now every day we drive our cars, we have the factories, we put more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, and it retains some of that warmth. So that number that we talked about before that de- Texas is going to be five degrees warmer or seven degrees warmer, that's because you've locked in this sort of blanket around the Earth that's warm. Well, getting back to the, the numbers there, too, about how Texas, or DFW specifically, is increasing in temperature, you went around the state, you went down to Corpus Christi, and, and you yeah. actually saw some visible climate change. And one of the things that I've always been curious about that you showed us in the reporting at WFAA are these, like, six-inch PVC pipes yeah. out in the middle of, of the uh, of the Gulf there that record the, the tides. So... What did you find? Yeah. How is climate change already affecting Texas? I'm a huge, I guess I'm a science nerd. I really like science and I like reporting about science because I feel like it, ha- it has like, it's very database, right? It's right. hard to, once you. It's black and white, you can't right? can't mess with it. It's right. like, so those, there have these really, these tubes and inside of them, the, the tube is basically empty. It's a giant PVC tube. Stuck down into the Gulf. Yeah. And the, there's like a whole series of them along the Gulf Coast and every, like, you know, every few miles there's a, there's a pipe like this. And there's really nothing in it, but at the very top of the pipe, it's sending down like a ping. And at the bottom of the pipe is where the water will be. And so it's like, it's hitting the water and it's making a measurement, you know, mm-hmm. like how long did the sound come to take back up, back up to the top? So it takes a measurement, it takes like 60 measurements in a minute 
and then averages them and then averages them over an hour and then averages them over days and weeks. And so it's like you get rid of the, the weird numbers, the anomalies, but the, the data is incredible. And this is run by NOAA, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Yeah, that's pretty good. I was trying to think of what, what it was in my head. And they, have, up, yeah. they have Galveston, they have 100 years of records. They're not as electronic, but they've been taking these records for 100 years. The water in Galveston is two feet higher than it was 100 years ago. You can't really even get your mind around that. And before we get into your reporting about Galveston and some of like the, the areas around there, the Space Center Houston and the Ship Channel, Texas is facing two problems. Number one, yeah. like everybody, all coastal areas, the, the water is getting higher. But you found out something else is going on in Texas because of the primary industry in this state, and that's it's, drilling. Right, so they I didn't use the word in the story, but I'll use it here so we can learn in the science word. It's called subsidence. Yeah. And so that's the, the land sinking. So it the comes, land is sinking. The so land the water's is getting higher and the land's sinking? Right, so it's double the problem. If, it, if the, the, the land, this water's rising about the, the thickness of two quarters every year, and now it's, the land is sinking about the th- almost the thickness of two quarters every year. Again, that doesn't sound like that much. That's a half inch, though, if maybe more, right? It's like, you know, a quarter of an inch maybe. But then in a year, that's an inch. Or, I mean, in four years, that's an inch, yeah. you know, and then like eight years, that's two inches. So it, it happens slowly over time. It's like the frog in the pot where you don't realize you're getting boiled until it's it's too late. But the drill, the pumping out of the water, the drilling of oil and gas kind of creates a pocket underneath where that stuff used to be. Plus you have fault lines and just the basic geology. Some coastlines are more prone to sinking than other ones. And, uh, and How's that, Texas? Is Texas, Texas more prone? Is, Texas is highly prone to sinking. And wow. so the only, the only place that's sinking more is Grand Island, Louisiana. That's like the worst. I thought in the that country. had already sunk. I, I mean, <laughs> is that still there? I know. It's, <laughs> I thought it was like a buoy out there or something like that. No so, offense to our listener in Grand Isle. <laughs> our Grand Isle listener. Hello. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it, Texas has a very bad problem. Of, wow. They call it relative sea level rise because not just the land sinking, not just the water rising, but the land sinking together is called relative sea level rise. And we're going to get into the, the, the politics of all this in a moment. Um, but what I thought was interesting is that, you know, people who live in North Texas or out uh, in West Texas, they might not go to the beach very often. Right. They might not really see the, the impacts of this very often. But you point out that with the sea level up two feet in Galveston over the last hundred years, six million people live along the Texas Gulf yeah. Coast. That That's a third to a quarter yeah. of the entire state of Texas. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'd never been to, I've been, I was, I had been one time to Texas City, but I never even really got to quite to the water. So this was all new for me. You know, Wheeler is from Texas City, right? Is he really? Did you know that? Yeah. No. Yeah. I should have gone and visited you, you his family. You should, yeah. Maybe they would have had a statue on the square down there. <laughs> he is from me. Texas City. I don't know if he has a statue or not. We should put one up though. Um, I, I hadn't been there. I wanted to experience it as a Texan, transplanted Texan. Um, and I, I wanted to see it through the eyes of the of the viewers who maybe like me had never been, don't plan to go, whatever, or know it from going from vacations and things yeah. like that. Because six and a half million people, like that's that's a lot of people, and it's like the primary source of where all the oil is refined, mm-hmm. you know, and the ship the shipping channels that are there, and all the goods that come up through there, and military uh, points of you know, shipping gear out around the yeah. world from it's very strategic area. So critical, so critical. 
you know, you lose that, you're in deep trouble. Well, let, let's talk about some of that because you were looking at how much the sea level is rising and the land is subsiding. So land is sinking, sea level is rising in Texas, which is concerning to think about. But you fast forwarded to the end of the century. Yeah. What, 79 years from now. And tell us what you found. Yeah. Like, like, like some Space Center Houston, the Houston Ship Channel. Uh, the yeah. Downtown and it, and it relates exactly back to the beginning of the conversation of Glasgow. So I'll, I'll just start there. Like, world leaders are there, and they're trying to keep the world from warming. 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is like 2.5 degrees, 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, and no more. So... So that's like, that's like bad already. And if you look at, we, uh, there's a, some data again from NOAA and this group called Climate Matters that made these visualizations that at 1.5 Space Center Houston or the San Jacinto Monument or whatever, like the parking lots there will be inundated with water. If the temperature goes up 1.5 degrees Celsius. Yeah. So if, we, if, we, if the world like comes together and figures this thing out. Immediately. Uh, by, by the end of the century, yeah. that's what's going to look like in those areas best case scenario best case scenario really so that's happening either way that's happening either way so if we miss it or we don't do anything about it and we get to like they say three degrees which is like kind of catastrophic warm the water at space center houston goes like over the doors at the at the museum like the place is basically unusable underwater and so that's really what's at stake right now is making it less bad it's not going to be not bad. And, and to put this in context for our viewers who might not have been to Space Center Houston, if you don't have kids like David and I do, Space Center Houston is about 20 miles, 25 miles inland, yeah. past Galveston, past Texas City, past Dickinson. Um, it, it, it's a ways back at Clear Lake there. Uh, Clear Lake, obviously, being, yeah. being the body of water closest to it. But that means a lot of other things are going to be underwater as well. Right. I mean, that's, that's a, just a good example of a low-lying area. That if the if if these you get these two quarters of sea level rise all the time, eventually by 2100 or beyond 2100, it's like and it's not going to be tomorrow. And so we don't want to be alarmist like this is what it's going to look like tomorrow. This is what we're headed for. Period. This is why I'm so fascinated with climate change and the politics of it is because we're we're trying to we're trying to get to a future that's like less bad. Which is a weird, weird objective. Well, see, we always look for titles as we talk to our guests. And I think you may have just given us one there. This is what we're headed for, period. Yeah. Because this is going to happen either way. Either way. That's what's remarkable to me. I remember some reporting, I think about a year ago in the New York Times, about Miami Beach. How Miami Beach is really freaked out because if it just rains down there, yeah. there's nowhere for the water to go. That's right. There's street flooding. Obviously, that happens in Houston. All the time, too, because of the, uh, it, the sea level is, is so close to um, how big the actual city is. If someone's listening to this and, and they say, well, David, that's great. I don't go to the beach very often. Yeah, you know, we, we saw what happened with the winter storm in February. These are just one-offs. What do you say to that? Yeah, okay. So, But there's going to be like a ton of one-offs. You know, It's going to get you somewhere. You might not live there. Uh, down by the down by the Galveston Bay, but uh, you know you're going to get more. So one of the things we're going to have up, it, we had like in 2011, for example, was this was the horrible drought. I don't know if people like remember that, but like you couldn't water anything, and there was no you know like, everyone was fighting about water and water restrictions. The droughts of the future, Texas A&M says, are going to be worse than the droughts of the past. It's just going to be more extreme. So you're going to have more drought. You're going to have more heat. 
When it does rain, the rain's going to be more intense. So it may not be that we have more rain or less rain, but the rain when it comes is going to be bonkers. Mm. And so you got floods. And so eventually I think people are going to be like, oh, climate change, climate change, climate change, and start seeing it around them as I am starting to see it. But right now people just like, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, it's not, you know, we get storms, we get rain, we get drought. That's just the way it goes. But the fact of the matter is it's all going to be worse. And that's what a lot of politicos say, too. So uh, let's take a quick break. I'm going to uh, go top off Schecter's beer here, too, so we get the, the real story. On I'm on my third one. <laughs> on what the politicians are telling him. We are at uh, the Katy Trail Ice House, downtown Dallas, Texas, talking to David Schecter back in just a moment. Taking the day off, Wheeler. so we're drinking one for him. I know Wheeler. He just probably has his feet in the pool back in the backyard or something. Who knows? Uh, so we are talking to David Schechter from WFAA in Dallas. He is um, what I think is, is one of the only, if not the only, local journalist really focusing on climate change, uh, local television reporter. And David has done this for two or three years. He's been to Alaska. He has just done two stories for WFAA in Dallas talking about how climate change is affecting Texas. One of them discusses what we just talked about in the first segment there. Uh, but the second segment I want to focus in on here is the politics of it. Yes. Okay, it's bad. So what are we doing? What is Texas doing specifically? That was the, you, you laugh when I, when I tell you that, <laughs> when I make that statement or ask the question. Well, what is Texas doing? Because you, you spent some time on this for, for a pretty in-depth story the other night. I mean, the short answer is Texas is doing nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Um, the Despite way I, the science, though, that's just yeah. that's remarkable. And the way I kind of pose it is the science is is really incontrovertible at this point. There's really no – it's not worth arguing about what's happening because it's happening. Or if you want to argue about it or you want to learn more, for sure, let's talk about that. But the politics of climate change are not I – mean, so, like – Climate change is happening. Science is rock solid. The polls show 80% of Republicans, of Democrats, or 88. 88%, I 88, think. except yeah. the climate change is happening. And 30% of Republicans accept that it's happening. In that environment, it's not a good issue for, in my view, for a Republican anything to even be talking about it. And the downstream effect is air quality in the future is going to be worse. But the Texas Department of Environmental Quality, which is responsible for air quality, doesn't have a policy about climate change. I mean, you could insert the reason why. I would say probably because it's not good politics for the Abbott administration to be talking about climate change. So they just kind of ignore it. Wouldn't help him as he's running for re-election. Right? It wouldn't help yeah. him. It would only hurt him. So why would he? I mean, I get it. I think the poli- that's politically a smart move if you want to get re-elected. Suddenly he's AOC. No one votes for him. You don't want to do it. Right. right. Don't yeah. talk about it. And, and so I get it. But that's, that is what's happening. If you we're going to have more hurricanes and more disasters in the future, but the Department of, the Department of Emergency Management has no policy to explore what future disasters are going to look like and plan for them. I just I look at it from a, just a management risk perspective. Like if I ran a company, 
and somebody told me that my company's facing a risk, I would be derelict if I didn't try to address it. I think it's just a, I think it's just a basic, I think it's basic governance. Um, and it's not, you know, but that's a, that's an apolitical way to look at it. I think. Well, so what I don't what I don't get is you listed out a number of agencies: TxDOT, uh, Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, C- TCEQ. You just mentioned uh, the the, the uh, Emergency Management Agency, right. Texas Department of Insurance. Yep. I think you had nine of them, yep, nine of them on screen that have no plan at all. I, I can't imagine that that. Are, are they just going to wing it as as the as Texas starts experiencing more of these, you know, severe winter storms like we saw in February, or these I think, uh, terrible hurricanes yeah, that everyone I, is scared to death is going to happen to Houston? Yeah, I think the February storm is a good a good way to look at it. Like the way we talked about it was dominoes. Yeah. That the dominoes knock into each other. The power, you know, you lose power, so the power plants you lose the power. The pipes freeze. Power plants close. The water plants that use electricity, they close. The text, the National Guard now all of a sudden has to airlift 40,000 cases of water to people around the state. People die. So these things are just knocking into each other. And the reason I say you need to, you know, be a risk manager is like, well, if the, really the first domino was that it was so cold. Hmm. Okay. There's your first clue right there, right? Right. So like, okay, well, maybe you know, if we start thinking about what that first domino is going to do, we can move it back. A couple of inches so it doesn't knock into the other ones. To me, that's planning for my kids and your kids and our grandkids. Yeah. Like, you need to be thinking about the disasters, the health the health effects. Like, we're all going to face. So, it's an obligation, I think, to look at those things. Are there any states that are actually thinking about this? I presume California is. Yeah, but I are think, there any I think so. Are- yeah, and, and cities too. A lot of cities do lead the way. Like New York City and Chicago have some good policies. You know, they're all, you know, you'd say they're all democratically controlled places. Seattle, Governor Inslee is like the climate governor um, and has a lot of a lot of plans about how to what to do, um, you know, an all of government approach Hmm. to looking at. So basically you get everybody, you get all the departments I just mentioned in a room and you game it out once in a while and say, like, if we get a winter storm. What's what's going to happen to emergency management? What's going to happen to you know health? What's gonna, how are we going to figure this out? Okay, how can we reduce the impact before it happens? Like that's just what you do, I think. Well, that's a good point. Just once a year, just figure it out, get everyone in there. That, that makes sense. Yeah, just and pretty, Texas is not doing that. No, nothing like that at all. So I, I've been fortunate in 31 years of journalism. I've interviewed a lot of people. I have never interviewed a UN Secretary General. <laughs> you interviewed the UN Secretary General. Uh, for for one of your stories on this recently, and this just aired the other night in Dallas-Fort Worth, and you asked the U.N. Secretary General what's at stake. Here's what he said. How important is the participation of a state like Texas for the world to achieve its goals, and how do you encourage participation from a state that's so entrenched in the carbon economy? Texas is prosperous today because... uh, uh, Texas is based on what was the uh, main factor of wealth and power uh, in last century, oil and gas. So if Texas wants to be prosperous in 2050 or 2070, Texas will have to diversify its economy and Texas will have to be less dependent on oil and gas and Texas will have to be uh, uh, a uh, living state in renewable energy in the West. 
All right, so that's the U.N. Secretary General there. Um, and after the U.N. Secretary General made the statement, we heard from Governor that's right. Abbott. right, yes. And, and tell us what Governor Abbott said. Because His he, response he was, uh, was Texas to U.N., pound sand. That was his. That was his response. I don't mean to laugh, but I think the appropriate response would be something like "Don't mess with Texas," maybe or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I yeah don't pound sand. I wasn't sure I even understood what that meant. My wife's like, "What does that mean? Drill from oil?" No, it's like you know, it's a yeah. get out of our business situation. Go mind your own business. So he tweeted that back to the United Nations just to make a statement. Yeah, governor did. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I guess it was a you know I, I guess a predictable response. I don't know that. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect him to say, you know what, you're right. And the United Nations is like, on one hand, does incredible science, and it tries to get people to reach these aspirational goals. They don't have a lot of authority, and they're such a foil. They're such a foil for so many people. Like, oh well, it's the United Nations. Like, we don't listen to them, and they're trying to control the world. And I, I think um, they, some of the some of the things that they do. Um, are are really helpful. The science bring together 400 scientists around the world and get every nation to agree on something like that's hard. That's hard work and important work, and and they just get easily disregarded. Which I understand also. That's that's good politics in that. Like, get out of here, UN. We don't want to. This is this our is Texas. Place. This is Texas. We don't listen but, to UN. But David, doesn't the governor have a point? I mean, Texas is number one in wind energy. Just yeah. drive out Interstate 30 from Dallas, and yeah. you can see that. Uh, we're number two in solar energy. We're, we're doing pretty well when it comes to renewables, but we're still pulling oil and, yeah. and gas out of the ground. I, I I think Texas, I think Texas is like part of the problem and a big part of the problem and a big part of the solution. This is what excites me about being doing the reporting I'm doing and living and working in Texas. Like the opportunity here is amazing. There's so much wealth. There's so much energy infrastructure. There's so much energy development. And to transition into the future, it's clearly happening. I mean, it's not like we're going to be, no, we're not going to make any more wind. We're not going to do any solar. We're just going to keep drilling for oil until we're all dead in 150 years. It's going to happen. The transition's going to happen. The opportunity for Texas is immense. And, yeah, we, we make more wind than anybody else. Let's make more. You know, or we already – we also – we also refine more oil and emit more carbon dioxide than any other state. So, you know that that's a big that's a big pain point to change your way of life that's based on a carbon economy. I've done a lot of reporting about what happened in February across the state, yeah. and and everyone's talking up wind energy and solar energy, but isn't one of the issues? I don't know if you if you know this or not, but it's we don't have enough battery capacity yeah. to store yeah. that wind energy and that. That solar energy to 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 use if we need to. There are strategic uh, gas reserves and strategic petroleum reserves. If we had to pull that stuff out of the ground, out of the salt mines that are stored in in East Texas and Louisiana, we could use that. Right. But if the if the windmills aren't or if the turbines aren't blowing out there and we don't have any capacity to store what they already you know captured, yeah, we're in trouble. Aren't well, so we? I think the two ways to think about that is like we're not all of a sudden tomorrow going to be all wind energy. So you have to build your grid and plan for what's in it. What's the mix? When are you going to have more wind? When are you going to have less wind? When are you, when are you going to have more uh, coal? When are you going to have more gas? When are you going to have more solar? And that's what they do. They, they, they plan around this portfolio of energies and try to predict into the future what they're going to need when. The thing that you just mentioned, the batteries, batteries are actually like, the I think the, the number one source of like new energy development in the state is like battery installations. 
but there's a lot of there's a lot of juice behind. Sorry for the I pun like there. That. that was good. That was good, man. <laughs> There's a lot of juice behind building these battery installations. So when the wind is running overnight and you don't need it, it goes into the goes into the battery. And then back in the daytime when people do need it, you release the battery energy into the grid. So we're not we're definitely not there, but we, um, th- we know the direction we need to go. Like, do we want to be the leader in battery installations? Why I not? think we probably do. Why not? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So. Um, you get it from both sides. Like those plans are happening. People are developing things in Texas. There is energy in that direction, but the politics still is like pound sand. And the natural gas industry. If people are following this, Wall Street Journal just did a story on this. We talked about it on WFA a few weeks ago. Uh, but the natural gas industry for a long time had had. I don't want to say they've been starved of capital for development for new drilling. But investors have said, ah, let's, let's slow down a little bit yeah. on that. And now we're in a pinch this winter because we're, we're drilling for more, yeah. but we're also exporting more. So we're, we're going to be uh, paying higher heating costs yeah. this winter. But when I hear of, of uh, you know, what needs to happen, if our politicos aren't doing anything, there are companies that are making changes. Ford came out with that Ford Lightning, that F-150 that's, that's electric. Yes. And I think that came out in, in March or April because right. if my memory is correct, it can power a home up to seven days yeah. and everyone was thinking well i'm getting rid of my car right, there's I'm going my to generator my right I absolutely yeah power goes out i got my car uh, yeah powered into the ford right, right. um and i did a story the other day it hasn't hasn't aired yet with uh Wabtec. it's the former ge transportation they're north of the texas motor speedway and and they they make locomotives yeah they, they physically manufacture locomotives Amazing. from scratch yeah it's unbelievable to see yeah. this i'm like a you know a nine-year-old boy and they're, you know wanting to touch and see everything <laughs> But they're noticing a couple things. Number one, that uh, they have a new engine out. It's called the Flex Drive. It's, it's essentially a, a battery-operated locomotive. There are still some emissions, right. but it cuts emissions substantially. So we see these companies making these substantial changes. I don't get why politicians aren't seeing this, too, and at least ride on their coattails, especially yeah. in this state where yeah. the conservative it's leadership a- has always been about business. Also, you know, the, the GM plant in Arlington is 100%, runs 100% on wind. 100% wind Are power. you serious? Yeah, the whole thing is wind power. I just bought a GM uh, uh, Tahoe from over there. Yeah, that's all wind huh. power. Uh, and so companies are companies are the ones that lead the way. I'd, I mean, I, I would ask you, and maybe you have some thought about that, but it's the, the politics, the politics are what average, the average voter, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, think the hardcore Abbott voter doesn't want to hear about climate change. It doesn't mean GM is going to listen to that. GM is going to go out and say, look, the future is clean emissions. People are going to want cars that are clean, that are built with clean energy. We're going to deliver them. Like That's the future. Businesses don't stick their head in the sand and say, well, the politics of it are bad, so we're not going to build these cars like this. They see the risk, as you said, the risk management here, right. and they're, they're hedging for the future. Right. We want to, we want to lead on it. Yeah. And so I think the politics and what actually happens at business are pretty well divorced from each other. I think the, the politics of some of the homegrown oil companies that are definitely, you know, donate to political causes and politicians are, let's dig our heels in. But really, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's the politicians being able to hear what's on the ground and this is a bad issue. I, I don't even think, you wouldn't even hear, I, it'd be hard-pressed to find a politician now who would say, climate change isn't happening. 
more likely to hear somebody not say anything about it at yeah. all. Because I don't think they even want to get into it. I think don't a lot of Republicans, I remember speaking to Senator Cruz a number of times, and they say that climate change is happening. They acknowledge that. They just think it's cyclical in the Earth's history. It's not man-made. Right. When the U.N. and hundreds of scientists say, clearly, this stuff is man-made, what we were seeing on Earth and, and right. uh, yeah, the sea. I, so that's the, 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 next, the next level you get is, well, the climate's always been changing. Which is true over millions of years, but in 150 years, we've 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 changed it so much. So it's like over a million years. Like if you're a frog, and the climate and the temperature changes three degrees, you got about you know 80,000 generations to figure it out. We have grow the we, extra leg, right? right? We've got we got we got one we got one generation two to figure it out. Um, so that's disingenuous and it's not true. But I think that's that's the next phase. Like yeah, it's always been happening. But okay, even regardless, okay. Regardless of what's always been happening, if you've got risks to your people that you're governing who are going to face risks from hurricanes or face risks from heat waves or face, I think you should protect them or do what you can at least to, to address it. The uh, Glasgow meeting is done on Friday. Um, what are the chances, let, let's say that, uh, you know, in, in what, two years when, when Biden's up for re-election, let's say he loses to a Republican or... Uh, you know, five years down the road, he loses to a, a, a Republican. I guess they could withdraw from whatever uh, is being done there, right? Just like President yeah. Trump did with the Paris I don't know. Agreement. I don't know what the provisions are in terms of withdrawal. Like it was interesting the way the, the way the withdrawal worked last time is it was like designed to end the very day that the next president of the United States uh, was sworn in. Uh, so they they built in this buffer. Like Trump was like, "I'm out," but if 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 on day one the next there was a different president. He or she could say, "I'm back in." So I'm not sure what the provisions are for that, but um, I and whatever we're going to be, so we're going to be further and further and further down the road. I think the and I think the politics of it, on in my opinion, are going to get worse or or less potent. I think I think the potency of the politics will come out of it as people start to get more accustomed to the idea of what's going. It might just be me because I'm so indoctrinated in it now, but I, I think people are starting to slowly change their opinions around it. I think politically that that, that is the case. So people are, are listening to this and they're like, wow, thanks. I need to pull over and have a have a drink myself, Schechter. Thanks Where are those that. guys? I'm coming to the Katy Trail Ice House. <laughs> Give me a double. Save a pint. Uh, so let's leave our listeners with what they should do. So we're in our break. I'm, I'm chowing down on my fajitas here, yeah. my beef fajitas. You're having something much more, uh, much healthier, I'm sure. Uh, but but what should I be doing? Should I be buying a Tesla? Should I be moving for higher ground, go buy a mountaintop somewhere and, and, and live there? What would you suggest? And what are you doing, man? Well, so I, um, I'm i not a huge fan. Like, so I take personal responsibility for my own life. I recycle. I eat as little meat as I can possibly eat. I And, and explain the, the meat thing for people who well, may like not the, know just, that. You know, they're, they're not that cows fart or whatever, but... There's just it, it requires a ton of resources to make my food, and so I figure like the least number of resources to make my food, the better off, you know, we're all going to be. So try to just try to reduce my own impact. But I don't. I'm not a real strong believer that that's going to move the needle. It's it's about what governments do. It's about whether you're. It's about whether you know you commit to new rules that reduce emissions in the future. And so if you want something like that, then that's you, sh- you need to pursue it in a political venue. Yeah. Take responsibility for your life. But the fact, you know, the fact that we're all going to recycle our plastic bottles 
is a kind of a fool's errand to think that's going to get us out of any kind of problem, I think. Are you moving in five years before things get I'm not here? moving anywhere. I mean, it's going to be hotter here, you know, when you and I are uh, retiring from WFA in <laughs> 25 years, hopefully. Um, but I, I think I – think, I'd only be 52 at that point. <laughs> I still have a few years to go. But. I don't know. I mean, my, my advice is to just uh, – is to get, is to seek action at, at a at a systemic level, political level. Yeah, or or organizations, or through through corporate governance, or yeah. the companies where you own stock, or the companies where you work, or the companies that you shop with. Like you should expect things from these organizations. You'd want to see them getting together and saying, "We're going to be net, zero net emissions by 2050." Like those are all things you want to hear. I think I think it's just not my it's not my personal responsibility to fix climate change as a as one person so how come so last question here to, to wrap it up and come back to the beginning how confident are you that the world will meet its its uh goal to cut emissions in half by by what nine years from now yeah. 2030 and then fully get rid of all emissions by 2050 that's that seems super ambitious and i was talking to the to drop names here, since you're interviewing the U.N. Secretary General. <laughs> you dropped the name. <laughs> I, I interviewed the U.S. Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, uh-huh. and I said, you know, Madam Secretary, that seems really ambitious. And she shoots back at me like I'm one of these climate deniers. I'm like, no, ma'am, I'm asking you the question here. Yeah. How confident are you something like that could actually happen, though? This is nine years from now, Dave. Yeah. I guess I am uh, cautiously optimistic. I think, you know, there's even stories out today that, even if everybody does exactly what they said they're going to do, like we've undercounted it or, um, you know, even if everybody did what they said they're going to do, we're still going to have to figure out how to now pull carbon out of the air with technology that doesn't really even exist. I think if it's incentivized, like people can make money doing it. Um, so I think if, if you have the right regulations and then some of those regulations incentivize marketplaces, which not everybody agrees with me that that's, that that's helpful, but like, Look, if I can make money pulling carbon out of the air, I'm going to try to find a way to do that. Yeah. So I think, I don't know if it's exactly at that time frame or whatever, but I feel like I feel like it's more likely than not that we will arrive at a place that is maybe not that 1.5 that we talked about, but also not that 3. And I guess I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. That's kind of, you know, that's probably just because I'm a hopeful person. You are a hopeful person. That's why I look up to you, man. Um, no, it's, it's a good point because at the end of the day, it's not just about industries that might not be around in 20 years, maybe oil and gas, but it's about the new industries and the new opportunities that will that will be generated from this. Yeah. And I, I think I agree with you. There, there are probably a lot to be uh, to, to come out of that. I mean, I, if I if I had a lot of money, which I don't, you're pretty loaded, man. <laughs> I like that jacket. Thank you. It. It's uh, custom. Uh, I, I would. I, I, I'm excited about the opportunities that exist in investments in clean energy. I think the growth yeah. there is going to be phenomenally off the charts. What like, stocks are you buying? What's that? What stocks? I don't are you know. Buying? Like I don't. I guess it's, I don't really study the, the the particular industries or the companies themselves. But I feel like that's a that's a huge growth and yeah. like that's like the next tech. Thank you, right, man. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, this is this is fascinating reporting. You can uh, look it up um, if you just break out the Google machine. Type in WFAA Schechter, S C H E C H T E R. Two C H's. Yeah, that's right. Two C H's, and uh, you can find David's work. David Schechter from WFAA. 
Thanks so much. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. We, Wheeler missed out. Uh, we poured out one in his honor here, but you can tell. Or I don't know if you can tell, uh, but it's gotten louder. I mean, people are full on dancing around me right now. It's like 11 a.m. on a Monday, man. And there, there are babies here. There are dogs here. Willie's on the radio. I, I think this is Willie. I heard Willie a moment ago. Uh, shout out to the Katy Trail Ice House for having us here. Jimmy Fell is the general manager. They took good care of us, so we appreciate that. And uh, Independence, uh, Amber from Austin. This was a good beer. Man. I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm on my sixth one. I'm really enjoying it right now, <laughs> the Half-Life from Manhattan Project. Getting the real story here. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Don't forget, we do have a, a hotline if you want to call in and, and uh, tell us what you think about our interview with David and, and climate change, too. Are you seeing effects of it as well? The number is 214-977-6020. 214-977-6020. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.